The Cleveland Browns suffer a huge blow to their playoff chances as quarterback Deshaun Watson is done for the remainder of the season. Can their defense carry the load to a postseason berth? Are the Buffalo Bills in danger of not making it to mid-January and beyond as Week 11 kicks off tonight with a huge AFC North matchup? Only a couple of noteworthy games in college football that could impact the Final Four on New Year's Day. Draymond Green is at it again. What else is new? Putting T-Wolves big man Rudy Gobert in a chokehold? Is anyone else tired of his antics? Speaking of which, what has gotten into Yankees GM Brian Cashman as his bravado and bluster toward his own personnel has made news? Plus college basketball and what's going on in the NHL? I've got you covered over the next 45 minutes to an hour to deliver entertaining and top-notch sports talk like no other. It's all coming up, but first, this message. Jay Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the Jay Reels Podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review, I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, Michael? People, greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. We're just a week away from Turkey Day, so I have plenty to prepare when it comes to a full-on smorgasbord of what the sports kitchen is cooking, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even... As early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. And yes, we are seven days away from the holiday season. I'm sure everybody could get the smell of what will come out of the oven, the stuffing, the preparation of some cranberry sauce, maybe some roasted potatoes, all the pies, apple, pecan, cherry, whichever one that you may indulge in. Well, we still have some time between now and then. And what we can indulge on is a Thursday night game that we could wrap our arms around. Can you believe it? No more Chicago Carolinas. No more of the dregs of the sport. We had the Bears play the Commanders earlier on this year. So we could put that aside and get ready for a big-time matchup and a huge one if you're a Cincinnati Bengal fan because the Bengals must win this game in the worst way for three reasons. One, they're already 0-2 in the division. Two, they already lost to the Ravens early on this year. And three, if they drop to 5-5, five and five, you can forget about the division. And even though they've been a team over the last two years that made it to a Super Bowl and came this close to going back to the Super Bowl last year, you have to wonder whether or not that this team, even if they go in as a five seed or below that, because they're not going to catch the Ravens if they lose tonight, 
they'll be technically four games behind them if they do come out of M&T Bank Stadium with a loss. So for them to more or less run the table from here on out to not only get into the postseason, but then have to do it on the road to get back to a championship game and then a Super Bowl is going to be daunting to say the least. So at least tonight, you do have something juicy, something to look forward to. The Ravens, they want to get that bad stench out of their mouths or out of their locker room after what happened there on Sunday against the Browns where they were up 31-17 and they came back to win 33-31 at the gun. So only three days, really four days between that game and this one for both the Bengals who come off of a bad loss themselves, losing to the Texans at home and then have to go on the road to M&T Bank to see if they could get themselves a win, not only just for themselves, but also for the division, because to go 0-3 in the division, you're going to screw yourself out of tiebreakers. And you haven't played the Steelers yet, which they'll play next week, and they'll have a mini-bye heading into that game, but first things first, they have to take care of business tonight. And how I look at it, I can see the Bengals winning, their backs are, are up against the wall, the Ravens, they play well at home, last week notwithstanding, and even with the game earlier this year against Indianapolis, I get it. That you could pretty much pin on the coach John Harbaugh. But I can see the Bengals coming out and trying to make a statement early. If they're going to win this game, they're going to have to do it from in front because I do not trust the Ravens to come from behind in any way, shape, form, or fashion. I'm going to say the Bengals win. Now, generally, the home team wins this game on a Thursday night with the short week. And I'm not doing this as an anti-Raven pick by any stretch. I can see the Ravens winning. And I could see them getting out to a 10 nothing lead and they're going to try to run the ball down the Bengals' throats. And I get it that they have two defensive players from their line that are out in Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard. But because the Bengals are desperate and Burrow has played well, even though in the fourth quarter there against the Texans, he did throw a couple of interceptions. But I would think he wants to get back on the beam. He knows how important this game is. And I think the team does. And that's not to say the Ravens don't either because they could pretty much put the... Bengals out the pasture as far as the division goes, but something tells me that tonight will be a night where the Bengals know that they're going to have to dig deep, they're going to have to go into a hostile environment to try to win a huge road division game, which are always tricky for the home team, no matter how good or bad the team is, I think the Bengals are going to eke one out tonight. We've had some interesting events take place over the last couple of days, where in Buffalo, a crushing defeat by the Bills, and you really have to ask yourself whether or not this Bill team is going to make it to the playoffs. And people before Western New York or Bills Mafia gets on my case to be like, Jay Reels, you're off your rocker. There's still seven games to go. Well, when you look at the standings in the AFC, they're currently 10th in the conference. And I understand there's still less than half a season to go, but they do have some very hard games on the schedule. They go to Philadelphia. They have to go to Kansas City. They are certainly not out of the woods as far as a team that's just going to coast into the postseason and for them to get into the tournament that it's going to be a toss-up. We cannot say that at this very moment the Buffalo Bills certainly are going to have a red carpet to get to mid-January and beyond. And that loss on Monday night was inexcusable and inexplicable in so many ways that The offensive coordinator, Ken Dorsey, got fired, and that was just a knee-jerk, and I can't even explain it, to be honest with you, because that field goal that Will Lutz missed from 41 yards, which would have given the Bills a victory, 
if it wasn't because the special teams coach, and he should have been the one that's canned, had 12 men on the field to where they moved the field goal spot five yards up and then let's kick the 36-yard winner for the Broncos to have any type of hope in the AFC and would have been put out of their misery if it wasn't because of that gaffe by the special teams. For Dorsey to lose his job is an absolute joke. And I'm not trying to make Ken Dorsey out to be Norv Turner or Don Coriel, but if the Bills had 11 men on the field, there's no way that Dorsey loses his job as offensive coordinator. And even the quarterback, Josh Allen, said that it hurts, and he's coming off a performance where he turned the ball over, reckless. You hear all the comparisons about Brett Favre, as we talked about in the past. And to me, it's an injustice to Dorsey for him to be canned based on what the special teams didn't do on that final play or penultimate play of the game. And that organization, that team, has to really look themselves in a mirror to see how they're going to play down the rest of this seven-game stretch to see if they, one, get into the tournament and how far they go from there because I think the head coach now is going to be on the griddle. McDermott is a guy that has been respectable. He's been there for quite some time. He's had some tough losses along the way, especially in the postseason. Arrowhead two years ago where, speaking of which, the special teams blew that game. And this was first guess in real time. 13 seconds left when they had the lead by three. What was it? 36-33. And then he kicks the ball in the end zone to give Mahomes at least an opportunity to get a big play or a couple of big plays to set themselves up in field goal range to tie the game. And then we know Tyreek Hill in overtime. So between that and then the Bengal game in the division round last year, he's been spotty as far as his performance goes. So for him to, I'm not going to say exonerate, the special teams coach, but to fire the offensive coordinator is just inexplicable. That's all there is to it. And they have a huge game here on Sunday where the Jets come to Buffalo, and I'm sure they're going to want to exact some revenge and also get the bad taste out of their mouths from what happened there on Monday night. But if you're going to get an erratic Josh Allen and the defense, I understand it's been piecemeal together with all the injuries, and if you're a Buffalo Bill fan... I get it that you could look at the Jets as a pushover considering their offense is from hunger. But the bottom line is, is that the Jets also have a very good defense. And if they're able to turn over Josh Allen the way they did in the opening game on Monday night to start the year and with the way Allen did perform the other day against the Denver Broncos, the Jets have as good a shot to win this game as Buffalo does. So that is going to be a playoff-like atmosphere because the last thing the Bills want to do is not only lose to the Jets because they'll lose a tiebreaker with them down the road and we don't know what the Jet season and how that's going to unfold even with the rumors of Aaron Rodgers coming back sometime in mid-December. But they do not want to go under 500 and with those aforementioned games that are on the schedule down the road and they do have Dallas coming into that building which we understand Dallas cannot win a big road game to save their lives but that's going to be a competitive game and I'm sure wherever the Bills are at that point of the season they're going to need that game. So between that, Philadelphia, Kansas City and even this game against the Jets every game is going to be a playoff game for Buffalo from here to the second weekend of January. And I don't know if they're going to make it. Because the AFC is uber competitive this year and you may have a team that's going to knock them out if they continue to lose these games along the way because even at 10-7, and which you would think would be a guarantee to get into the postseason, even if you're the Bills, chances are 10-7 and could leave you out and not in. 
And then the other development were the Cleveland Browns and their performance on Sunday, as I talked about, and to have Deshaun Watson out for the remainder of the year as he has to undergo shoulder surgery on his throwing arm for a fracture. We could talk about franchises that are cursed. We could talk about franchises who've never made a Super Bowl. Detroit Lions being another one, the team that's 7-2 and two and riding high this year. And with that win on Sunday, to have this news come down, that Watson is going to be done. And I get it, Watson has been up and down as far as his short, but enough of a sample size as a Brown quarterback to kind of give you a, I'm not going to say an incomplete, but he's somewhere average, maybe slightly above average as of late, considering what he did against Arizona. I get his, And I understand it's the Cardinals, and then that come from behind win against Baltimore. But to not have him for the rest of the year, and the starter this week is going to be Dorian Thompson-Robinson, not P.J. Walker, and not that I'm trying to make P.J. Walker out to be Bernie Kosar, but that came down as a surprise from Coach Kevin Stefanski that he's going to put Thompson-Robinson as the quarterback to start against the Steelers in an enormous AFC North matchup. Another one this week when you think about the game tonight in Baltimore. But the Browns, who lost to the Steelers on Monday night in Week 2, knowing that they have to get this game as far as tiebreakers go down the stretch with both teams at 6-3. and three. And I get it that he wanted Thompson Robinson, the coach that is, Stefanski, to have him get first-team reps all week as opposed to what happened early in the year when they lost at home to the Ravens and pretty much threw in Robinson at the last minute and did not play well in that game. So knowing that he's going to be under center here, getting the reps, Preparing for the game on Sunday, maybe they could catch lightning in a bottle. Walker, who has a bit of a track record this year, although has not been great, but he did win some games along the way. Had a tough loss in Seattle, which could have gone either way, understood. But he was a guy that beat the Niners, granted that they could have lost there with the last second field goal that went wide right. But he has won some games for you, and you would have thought that P.J. Walker would have been your guy, at least for this week. But... He's rolling the dice to bring in Thompson Robinson, which to me, this game you have to have if you're the Cleveland Browns. You do not want to lose a tiebreaker to a division foe. I understand wins are precious and you want to win these division games, especially in your building, but if they somehow, someway lose a 13-10 game and it falls on the quarterback, the head coach is going to get roasted on Monday. So that is a game, when we look at the schedule here on Sunday, just in a matter of seconds, The Browns, a lot of people thought that they could have been a dark horse team or a team that if they made it into the playoffs could have been formidable, not only with that defense, as we all know is stout, but with Watson gaining some momentum and playing well, and now you're not going to have that. And I'm sure it stings the Brown fan. I'm sure it stings the organization to know that they were riding a pretty big wave here at 6-3 and with a hated opponent coming into their building. And even though they're still favored and the likelihood of them winning still may be big because the Steeler offense, as we all know, is inept. But they've been able to pull these games out of the fire, as I've talked about week in and week out with the way the Steeler team has performed, being outgained each and every week offensively, but somehow finding a way to win these games. And if it comes down to a fourth quarter, 10-10 situation, you would think that the Steelers may prevail based on what they've done this year. It's not a guarantee, of course, but this is going to be a game that could reverberate just in the division. I'm not talking about the AFC overall, but how this will fare for each team in each direction 
Could the Steelers go backwards because they have the Bengals the following week? Or having this win, could that propel them to continue their magic carpet ride and doing it with smoke and mirrors? Or will the Browns figure out a way, even with the third-string quarterback, to win a game and continue to build the momentum off of what happened in Baltimore? Or will this be a slide back knowing that it's going to be uphill to not only in the division, but also in the conference to see whether or not they'll get one of the top seven playoff spots in the AFC. And as we look at the schedule, obviously tonight is fantastic. You also love the Monday night game, a rematch of the Super Bowl, Philadelphia and Kansas City. That's going to go a long way to see what's going to happen, not only for the Eagles and the NFC, because they also have a very interesting stretch of games coming up. Not only do they play the Chiefs there on Monday night, they have to go to Dallas, as we all know. They also have to play the Bills, who are coming into their building, followed by the 49ers the week after that. They also have to go to Seattle. So they have a gauntlet here starting Monday night, where they'll have a short week to host Buffalo on Sunday, then San Francisco the week after that, to Dallas and to Seattle, before ending up with the Giants Two of the last three games sandwiched by the Arizona Cardinals in the middle. And then Kansas City, if they want to keep pace to keep that one seed and not have to go on the road as we have seen throughout the course of the Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes era, they have not had a road playoff game, which is really hard to fathom when you think about it. But for the Chiefs, this is a big game for them because they know that they have the Ravens breathing down their neck. And if the Ravens do win tonight, and by any means that the Chiefs lose on Monday night. They'll be at a flat-footed tie. Now, as far as tiebreakers, they don't play one another this year, but we'll have to wait and see how that unfolds, bearing on what takes place tonight in Baltimore. But the Chiefs have the Eagles Monday night. Then they go to the Raiders, Packers. Their schedule lightens up a little bit. They do have the Bills, who they'll host there in the close to the middle part of December. And then you have Patriots, Raiders. They do play the Bengals later on in the year, but their schedule lightens up a little bit. But that's going to be a fascinating game Monday night to see how those two teams, if you want to say a little bit of a revenge game, although to me that's not. The Super Bowl is the ultimate game that for the Eagles, they had a shot to win. We know about the pass interference call, not to relive that. But if they want an exact revenge as far as the fan base goes, that will be a good juncture for them to see at the middle of the season whether or not the Eagles stack well against the Chiefs here, which I think they do, but you understand where I'm coming from. The other games on Sunday, not a lot to really chew on. You do have your 425 window is the Jet-Buffalo game. And I'm sure at the beginning of the year, they were hoping that was Rodgers versus Allen. But as we all know, that's not going to be the case. The rest of the schedules from Hunger, Chicago-Detroit, Chargers in Green Bay. Vegas-Miami is a little bit interesting based on how the Raiders have been playing as of late. Let's see if they can carry that into South Florida. And that would be a big test for them because the Dolphins beat up on teams that are a little bit beneath them and beyond. They can't seem to play well. I can't say that's a little bit too strong because they did play well in Philadelphia against the Eagles there on that Sunday night. And even though they were down 21-0 to the Chiefs, they did make it interesting there toward the end. But we all know Miami, they seem to be a bully team, a bully offense against teams that are lesser than them. And I don't want to say that the Vegas Raiders, although they are beneath them, not only in the standings, but as far as talent, but you would think that the Dolphins are going to be up for this game, knowing that the Raiders have a little bit of momentum. So maybe that's a game you could look at and say, ah, let's see how the Raiders stack up against the Dolphins here on the road. 
Giants at Commanders, Dallas, Carolina, Tennessee, Jacksonville, Arizona, Houston, Tampa, San Francisco, Seattle at the Rams. Your Sunday night game, I get it's a little bit better now based on what Denver did, but Minnesota at Denver, and of course Minnesota's played well, but uh uh-uh, I'm not sold that that is a marquee matchup to say the least, so that's one thing that I'm not going to look at as a game where, oh, I'm going to certainly be glued to at 820 on Sunday night. So that pretty much covers your week 11 in the NFL. Your buy teams this week are Atlanta, Indianapolis, New England, and New Orleans. So those teams, thankfully, we don't have to worry about for this week. Over the last few weeks, you've had a lot of the big teams not play, which certainly hits the schedule, but that's how it's going to unfold. You're going to have teams that are not going to play due to the buy. Some of the better teams in the league, but at least for this week, you don't have to worry about I understand Indianapolis has been competitive. We know about New England. They're awful. And Atlanta and New Orleans, they're pretty much going to be in a battle royale for the rest of the year to see who comes out in the NFC South. So that's what you have with the NFL this week. As far as college, you don't really have much to sink your teeth into. Now, we know next week is going to be the big week. Obviously, Ohio State-Michigan, that's going to determine who's not going to make it into the playoff Final Four come New Year's Day. The two games of note this week, Georgia at Tennessee. Now, because it's a road game in Georgia, or I should say Tennessee has a big-time offense, who knows what the atmosphere is going to be down there in Knoxville. We understand that Tennessee played well early on. If you remember in the game last year, and I understand you can't compare it, you had Hendon Hooker who was a quarterback then, and it's a different cast of characters as we know. But then Georgia blew the doors off of them. The remainder of the game, even though Tennessee came out a little bit hot, and I'm sure they've had to sit on that for a whole year, knowing that they have an opportunity to defeat the Bulldogs. They're obviously on a roll. They're not as powerful and as invincible as they were the last two years, but still, we know Georgia has been a top team for now, going on three years. And even with Georgia, who leapfrogged over Ohio State to get back to number one earlier this week, you know that they're going to want to continue that stretch of being number one and being dominant. And this is going to be an interesting setting for them to see whether or not that they're going to not only stay unbeaten, but also do their best to stave off any type of distraction, especially when it comes from the Tennessee crowd. Now, I understand it's not going into Tuscaloosa or going into the Horseshoe or going into the Big House. I get it's not going to be along those lines, but it is an SEC game. The Volunteers, like I said, I'm sure their students, alumni, the fan base, they've been waiting a whole year to see whether or not they could have Georgia come into their building and defeat them. So that's why this game is fascinating. So we'll pay attention to that game. And then the other one is going to be Washington and Oregon State. Now, you would think that Washington, would, even with their defense being putrid, but we know Michael Penix Jr., the quarterback, has had a phenomenal year. And... This looks to be another 45-38 type game. But because it's on the road, and we've seen this happen throughout time as you get later into the year, and the pressure starts to mount, we know Washington has been stuck at five for several weeks now, and all it takes for them to drop is to have that one hiccup. And if the defense, for whatever reason, can't make a big stop, or just when you thought that Washington was able to pull their team out of the fire offensively, but Oregon State has the ball last and all they need is a field goal, and sometimes it could come down to that. That's not to say that's going to be the case, but that's a game you're going to have to pay attention to because Washington, for everything that they've done so far, and they want to continue to stay at five because they know 
Next week, Ohio State, Michigan, one of those two teams are going to lose, and maybe Washington catapults themselves into the top four. Now, we understand that after that, when it comes to conference championships, they have a likely date against Oregon, and Oregon's going to want to exact revenge from what happened there earlier in the season when they lost to the Huskies. But that is for then, and this is now. Other than that, it is a barren waste field as far as the college football schedule goes. And when we look at the rankings, as we talked about there the other day, and really over the last couple of weeks, we talked about those top eight teams, Alabama, Texas, of course the top four, Washington, etc. And a lot of people are thinking that if these teams run the table to the conference championship, and we'll take Ohio State, Michigan aside, because one of those two teams are going to make it into the final four. So when you look at the other three spots, if somehow, some way, Alabama faces Georgia, which is going to be the likelihood in the SEC championship, and Alabama wins, a lot of people are going to think Alabama and Georgia are going to belong in the college football Final Four, and then your final team is going to be Florida State. They're the one team that's kind of in the background just waving, saying, hi, we're still here, even though they're in a weak conference, but they've been undefeated. They've been at number four and entrenched there the whole year. So what it's going to boil down to It's going to be, if it goes this way, if Alabama beats Georgia, they're still going to have to take Georgia, even with one loss. They're going to have to take Alabama, and I get it, you're going to have a faction of people down in Texas to say, wait a minute, Longhorns, we beat Alabama earlier this year in Alabama. How come we don't get into the college football Final Four? Well, with Alabama winning the conference, and even though with Georgia getting that loss against Alabama, Texas has a gripe. They do, but as we've seen over the years, that is not going to be the case. You're going to look at Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State or Michigan, and then Florida State. So if you're Washington, you'll have to continue to play well, and you're going to have to hope that even with them as a five seed, they have an argument on whether or not they should be in the Final Four considering that Georgia and or Alabama have one loss. So this is what it's come down to. And we still have to get through these next couple of weeks. Obviously all the rivalry games after Thanksgiving. The conference championships the week after that. And then when the dust settles, we can kind of get the lay of the land and see who's going to represent in the college football playoff at that time. All right, now as I turn my attention and lace up the high tops to go through the association and the big news over the last couple of days and... I'm tired of the antics. I'm just tired of him being in the middle of all this. And you can even check my YouTube channel. I posted a video about how I was just sick and disgusted by Draymond and his shenanigans. And I don't want to hear that he was defending a teammate. And I want to hear that, oh, you've never played competitive ball. Or, oh, you must be soft. Or, oh, I guess you will let your brother get beat up by somebody else if that happens to you on the street. Uh, Please. Can we just pump the brakes on that, people? Because when you watch the video there, not even two minutes into the game, a basket wasn't even made. Where Jaden McDaniels was going down the court with Klay Thompson, and they got into a bit of a scuffle, more so a wrestling match than anything, and then all Rudy Gobert did was try to go in and play Peacemaker just to hold Klay Thompson back. He didn't try to wrestle him. He didn't try to put him in a chokehold. And then what happens? Draymond Green, and I get it. He's coming to his defense, but Gobert 
looked like he was going to be more of the peacemaker. And I'm sure maybe Draymond Green thought, because Gobert has been soft throughout his career, and it was a guy that he felt like he could just ragdoll throughout the court, because if that was LeBron trying to hold Klay Thompson, you think Draymond Green is going to put LeBron in a chokehold? Let's start there. So for Draymond to then come to Thompson's aid and then automatically put him in a headlock, and now you're taking several steps down the court where you have a borderline chokehold on Rudy Gobert, and I'm not going to go extreme to say, oh, something could have happened, he could have passed out, he could have broke his neck. I'm not going to go that far. But to have him in a headlock in that fashion, and therefore Gobert is literally has his hands up, he's not trying to yank his arm, he's not trying to do any of that. If anything, he's trying to hold on for dear life at that point. To me, for the people who root for the Warriors or think that I'm a hater for Draymond, he's done nothing to me. But again, how many times have we seen this over the course of his career? He's been in the NBA for 12 years. You would think that if he's going to go to the aid of his teammate, that, all right, you want to try to grab Gobert and maybe by the shoulders or even by the jersey to hold him back, that's one thing. But to right away go on the offensive and just to put him in that headlock, I'm sure that was more of a mental game to a young Timberwolf team and even a player like Gobert who's been in the league for quite some time, but we all know Gobert's not a tough guy. And I understand I may have called him soft just a minute ago, but you could get under Gobert's skin where if he did that to LeBron or Anthony Davis or Kevin Durant, he's not going to do that. So that was more of a psychological warfare on Green's part. And I'm not going to say it worked or didn't work, but was it necessary? It was not. And that's my point. And then even in the video, and this is on another angle, I came out and said that he's not a Hall of Famer, blah, blah, blah. And people got on my case about, oh, you're nuts. You haven't watched basketball, so on and so forth. And all I come out and I say, and I'm sure a lot of people may disagree, but I'm sure there may be a faction that will agree. When we're talking Hall of Fame people, we're talking about the greatest of the great. We're talking about all-time great. We're not talking about the very good. We're not even talking about great. We're talking about that pantheon of players that belong. And you know the names. I don't have to go through the list. But the one question I posed was, is Draymond Green, throughout his career, has he been dominant? Not for a playoff, not for a year, not for two years, not for four years but for the bulk of his career. And he is not. So therefore, he is not worthy of being in the Hall of Fame. Is he going to get in one day? Absolutely, because they let everybody in. But my point is that he is not dominant or doesn't belong in that pantheon of greats based on his body of work. And I don't want to hear about rings because somebody brought up Robert Ory of Draymond won four rings and Robert Ory belongs. We all know Robert Ory is a role player. Was he fearless? Was he a big-time shot maker? 100%. But just because you won seven rings and you're on great teams and you make big shots at big moments, but you average, what, 11 points a game, you're not a Hall of Famer. And that's not an insult. And that's what people fail to recognize. And that is my point altogether. Now, I understand I got off to a tangent a little bit because it's about what happened there the other night in San Francisco. But for Draymond Green, who got a five-game suspension and got fined for three more, the suspension fits. I know, first take, they bring, oh, Jay Williams, oh, 10 games. Come on, 10 games? He didn't swing and punch at the guy. Now, if that was the case, if he punched at him, different story. But he put him in a headlock. That was indefensible. There's no way he should have done that. And five games, to me, fits the punishment. Or fits the crime. So for 
people out there that think, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You haven't watched basketball. Draymond came to the rescue of a teammate, so on and so forth. It wasn't as if Gobert was standing over Thompson or had him in the headlock or certainly had him by the jersey where it was up against his face, ready to slug at him. It was far from the case. And I'm just tired of it. I'm tired of Draymond. And I get it. He still has that chip on his shoulder, second round pick. He's had to work hard to get where he has been in his career, etc. I am not knocking him for that. And he can continue to have that chip. But for him to do what he did there the other night, there is no way, shape, or form that you could defend that. And that's my point. And as far as the association on a whole since Monday, I know he had a big game. And they played last week. And this is the one thing I do not like about the in-season tournament. The Sixers and Celtics are already finished there. Not overall season series, but the two games that are in Philadelphia each and every year, it's already done. So the two games that are left in the year, they're going to be played in Boston. So that is one aspect of the in-season tournament I don't like. Because it's not as if you're going to have a Celtics-Sixer matchup in Philadelphia, let's say in the middle of March. Or maybe even in early April to get themselves set up for the postseason. Where you could really say, oh, all right, let's get a better feel for these two teams as they try to build some momentum into April, May, and June. You're not going to see Boston and Philadelphia until you get to April, May, and June because they're already done in Philadelphia. And then last night you had Jalen Brown and Chris Stapps Porzingis both out of the lineup. So Jason Tatum, Drew Holiday picked up the slack. 29 points for Tatum. And then you had Drew Holiday who had a very good game as well. What did he have? I think 10 points, 8 rebounds, and I think 3 or 4 assists as the Celtics who got a little bit of revenge. I don't want to say that because it is a long season, etc. But they lost in Philadelphia last Wednesday. So they bounced back here last night and they win in Philadelphia. Philadelphia, who lost their first game of the year, won eight in a row before splitting against Indiana. And Indiana already had their two games in Philadelphia on Saturday and Monday. So now you had the Sixers and the Celtics finish their home court scenario, as I just mentioned. But with the Celtic win last night, they are now in first place here in this early part of the season, 9-2 and with Philadelphia 7-3. and And I talked about Indiana playing well even the other day as they're now 7-4 and in the East. But the Bucs also have played well here. They were 5-4. and They won their last two. And not much to really talk about since. I know the Warriors, I mentioned them the other day, but now they've gotten into this little funk where they've lost four in a row on the hinge of what happened there on Tuesday night with Jaden McDaniels. Clay Thompson and Draymond Green. But that's what you have NBA-wise. There isn't really any else, any other things to unpack here. I know the Rockets, give it up to them. They've actually have won six in a row. So M.A. Odoka and company, they've actually have gotten themselves on a bit of a streak and they have a young Rocket team with some good young players. So kudos to them for what they've done here over the course of the last two weeks. And I didn't even pay attention to them on Monday not knowing that they had gotten themselves on a bit of a winning streak. And that winning streak includes wins against the Kings, Lakers, Pelicans, even the Nuggets there. So give it up for the young Rocket team to see if they could surprise some people here in this early part of the NBA season, which they've done, considering that they started off 0-3 and have been undefeated since. So anything else in the association to dive into? I would say no at this present moment. Let me just take one last look before I turn to college basketball because now that's going to be a part of our consciousness here. Maybe not more so 
now December, January, but once we get past the Super Bowl and into February, we know that that's going to be a big player when we get into March Madness. Uh, I know Anthony Davis, his injury there, that hip issue that he suffered down in Miami about 10 days ago, had a bad game last night against the Kings, only scored nine points, put it on himself. So that's something you're going to have to monitor, Laker fans, because as we all know, and as I've said, going back to the NBA preview, and even last year for that matter, the Lakers are only going to go as far as Anthony Davis takes them. And no, I don't want to hear about LeBron. He's going to be 39 at the end of next month, and he can only carry so much of the load, even though he's indestructible, and even though he has a red cape wrapped around his neck. But this isn't LeBron five years ago, let alone 10 years ago. So you can't expect too much from him, even at this stage of his career, and even though still playing better than any 39-year-old could. But with Davis, if he's going to be healthy and is going to be into it, that's where the Lakers are dangerous. If he's going to be in and out, if he's not going to be in the lineup, if he's going to have a 9-point game one night and a 30-point game the next, that's not going to be sustainable either. So for the Laker fan or for the NBA fan, that's a, an injury that you're going to have to monitor here to see how far the Lakers are going to go. And as we saw last year, they went to a conference final, but a lot of that had to do with the health of Davis. So... For what that's worth here in the early part of the season, eh, maybe for some, they don't care. But, again, that's something that you're going to have to pay attention to. And as far as college basketball, that's right. College basketball is now in effect. And Duke already lost their first game. I had to talk about that because I can't stand Duke. I think they lost to Arizona at home over the weekend. But you have... That if you're a dookie hater like I am, but your teams coming into this year, and I know I hadn't really spent a lot of time on this, Kansas being your proverbial number one, I know a lot of people thought UConn could have been a team that was ranked number one coming into this season, but you have Kansas, Purdue with the big guy, Ivy, we'll have to see whether or not he's going to have a big time dominant year, as we saw last year, but, or it's not, not Ivy, his name is Edie, I got his name mixed up, Zach Edie. So my apologies there. But for Kansas, as we all know, they're going to be a team that's going to be there when it's all said and done. Who knows what's going to happen there with Kentucky, even with North Carolina, as they both had down years last year. And as you look at the top 25, they're at the bottom rung. They're not even in the top 10. You have Arizona. You would think there's going to be a team that's going to make some hay here in the NCAA, well, when you get to the tournament, obviously we have a long way and plenty of miles between now and then before you could even think about them being a big-time favorite when it comes to the tournament. And yes, they did beat Duke at Cameron Indoor the other day, 78-73. So the Wildcats have gotten out of the gate pretty strong. But I only bring that up because college basketball is now in sync. You have a couple of games under the belt for some of these teams Also, another team that you have to wonder whether or not they're going to make a big-time leap that we always see at the top four of the standings or of the rankings is Gonzaga. They're currently 11th. So who knows what you're going to get out of the Bulldogs when it's all said and done. And now we could slowly but surely enter college basketball into our consciousness because we all know with the NFL going on now and even with the NBA, NHL, and then Hot Stove is going to start heating up, you would think, in the coming weeks. College basketball... Although it's going to be hanging around, but once you really get to the conferences and they start playing one another in the early part of January and beyond, that's when we really start to pay attention. But right now, you're not going to get too geeked up or too crazed unless you're just a die-in-the-wall college basketball fan. And how could you, where you have a lot of one-and-dones, a lot of these teams 
are nondescript. It's not as if it was college basketball yesteryear where you had these players stay for four years. But you know that I had to bring this up now considering that they are underway and in full swing when it comes to the college circuit with basketball. Now, before I wrap up with the NHL, I want to get into the baseball and talk about one particular angle that I touched on a little bit the other day in reference to Hal Steinbrenner and the Yankees. And then now you had a scenario over the last couple of days where the GM, Brian Cashman, he made some comments about the front office being pretty effing good. And what has that front office done in the last 14 years as far as produce any World Series championships? That'd be a big fat donut. But I'm surprised by Brian Cashman, not only with him talking about his front office being good, and this is after Hal Steinbrenner, when everybody regrouped in Tampa, how they had to have those hard conversations, how they had to look in the mirror to see where the direction of this organization is going to go, considering they have not won a World Series since 2009, and knowing that they're going to have to make some personnel changes to keep up with the Baltimore's just in their own division, even Tampa, to a lesser degree, maybe even Houston, as they're going into this season with the contracts of Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman going into their final year, and they're going to become free agents. So this could be possibly the last of the Astros as we know it going into this 2024 year. But the Brian Cashman GM-led Yankees, for him to come out, and although, give him credit, where he was honest about the health status of Giancarlo Stanton, knowing that He's not going to be able to rely on him throughout a 162-game season because he always gets hurt and always gets injured. And yes, there is some base to that and truth, which one more time, give him credit. But I don't know if that was done more as a motivational tool. And I'm not trying to read between the lines here or build up some sort of conspiracy theory, but you have to wonder where that came from. And even the recent track record of Cashman going back a couple years ago when right on opening day, he let the whole world know that we offered Aaron Judge $210 million. We did exactly what we were supposed to do and he balked at it to almost cover his own ass. And you could say right or wrong for him to do that, but we understand that throughout the landscape of sports, not just baseball, that a lot of the GMs and owners, they do not tip their hands when it comes to negotiations like this. And I get it that the Yankee fan... Their patience is wearing thin, not only with the owner, but also the GM. And the GM's going to do whatever it takes to make him look good and to make himself above the fray of what the fan base has yelled at toward him and the front office in its entirety. But he also has to pipe down here to know that if you're going to put your player on the carpet like that, he's going to face some backlash. And all the bluster and the bravado that he's had here over the past week talking about the front office and then putting Giancarlo Stanton on the carpet. And give it up, Stanton has been a model-class citizen during his tenure in New York. He's gotten booed left and right. He's taken the booze like a man. He says, yes, I have to play better. He hasn't made any negative comments toward the fan base, toward the organization, etc. He's been a stand-up guy. And I would think that's going to continue to be the case, although his representation... Joe Wolf, his agent, has come out and said that I don't think any players should sign with the Yankees based on not only those comments, but just the pressure of playing in New York and trying to win a World Series. Well, the agent has to understand that when you play in New York and you're playing in pinstripes, and even to a lesser degree the Mets, there are expectations to win. It's not just making the playoffs and you lose in the first round or get to a championship series 
and losing four games or seven games and say, hey, we had a great year. That's not the standard around here. And especially in the Bronx, for that matter. So the agent has to pipe down as far as that goes. But for Cashman to come out and say his true feelings, which I understand. You got to give it up to him. But we understand he's doing it to cover himself. And to not make himself look bad. And to maybe even put some pressure on Stanton. Which I get it. Maybe if this was the owner, George Steinbrenner where he's going to call out certain players in the past, a la Dave Winfield, even Reggie Jackson to a certain degree, and even Derek Jeter. That's why they had that commercial for Visa about Jeter going out, partying in the middle of the night, page six, etc., saying, oh, I want you to be at your ultimate best on the field. And then Jeter says, well, I'm winning your rings. Ain't that right, boss? And then Steinbrenner can't say anything at that point. But that's not the case here. And Cashman... I have to say, he needs to just step back, get out of the spotlight, roll up his sleeves, which I'm sure he's doing, and put forth a better team on the field. Because for all of the talk about his front office, and you want to put one of your star players there out the pasture, or put him there where the spotlight is on him and not on the GM, well, he has to do better too. Because when you bring in Carlos Rodon for $162 million, and he had, what, one or two good starts? in about 10 or 11 when he came off of the IL in the latter part of July. Bringing in Josh Donaldson, how did that work out? Bringing in Frankie Montas at the trade deadline, how did that work out? Signing Aaron Hicks to a six-year, $70 million deal, how did that turn out? Signing Garrett Cole, I could sign that guy. Especially if I have deep pockets. And Aaron Judge, remember, that wasn't Brian Cashman, that was Hal Steinbrenner. And yes, once upon a time, he did bring in CeCe Sabathia, Mark Teixeira, and A.J. Burnett. But that was after they missed the playoffs in 2008. They moved into a new building with, obviously, money to burn, which they still have that money to burn. But remember, that was under George in his last days as the Yankee owner. And even though they've spent money, it's not as if they've been cheated or have alligator arms to reach in their pockets, but they have not made any big-time moves here. Other than Cole, of course. And again, that was a no-brainer. And if you're the Yankees, obviously the target is Brian Cashman because he's the guy that's supposed to bring these players in where a lot of people think New York is where they want to be at because they want to be a part of a postseason. They want to be a part of October and win a World Series that they haven't done in almost a decade and a half. So if there's anybody that needs to shut up, pipe down, not point at players, not point at his front office, and not say anything but trying to bring in people that's going to improve this team and sign on the dotted line to have any long-term or sustained success is the GM. And listen, I hope he doesn't do that. I want the Yankee team to flame out year in, year out as long as I'm alive. I've seen enough World Series. And I talked about that on my vlog, if you haven't checked, on my YouTube channel, Shameless Plug. Go ahead and do that. Another winter I can sleep in peace. So I hope that the team goes belly up from here until the day I die. But if he wants to get in good graces with the fan base... Don't try to put the onus on your players. Don't try to put the onus on how well the front office is done. Put the onus on yourself and do better. And I hope he's not hearing this because, again, I don't want the Yankees to succeed as long as I'm alive. And I'll leave it at that. And oh, by the way, the prized Japanese pitcher, Yamamoto, guess who he's represented by? Joe Wolf. 
Sad news, the Padre owner, Peter Seidler, died at the age of 63. I bring him up only because he's tried to turn his franchise around over the last few years. We know about the big ticket items that they spent on, they traded for, etc. And even though being a two-time cancer survivor, unfortunately, he wasn't able to make it. I don't know if it was due to that because the cause of his death was unknown when it was released there. I believe it was yesterday or on Tuesday, but thoughts, prayers, and condolences go out to the Padres. His family, obviously Major League Baseball, 63 years of age. I mean, geez, that's as young as you could possibly have, especially in this day and age. So just a very sad story coming out of Southern California with a team that's trying to make some hay and trying to be amongst the big market teams and the big spenders. And of course, they've fallen short, even though they made it to the NLCS last year. But Peter Seidler will not be able to see his vision through as far as the World Series goes. Sadly, they're dying at the age of 63. And then lastly with the NHL, there isn't much to discuss, but I have to bring this up. I haven't talked about the Islanders, and I don't want to spend even 120 seconds on them, but last night was awful. They had a 3-1 lead in Vancouver where Bo Horvat, who they traded for last year, if you recall, at the deadline from Vancouver, made his first appearance in the Pacific Northwest, north of the border there in British Columbia. And even though the Canuck fan did see their former player come back to score a goal, but they got the last laugh winning 4-3 in overtime, and the Islanders, just like you saw there with the Oilers, not to say that their expectations were up there with Edmonton when they fired their coach, but you have to wonder if Lane Lambert is skating on thin ice, pun intended, for his coaching career, or at least his coaching job here on Long Island, because the Islanders have just been awful. And it's not his fault, because the ownership, the front office, has done nothing to bring any type of impact player or players to the organization, it's pretty much the same team that you had last year, this year, and hoping to bank on their late season success to make it into the postseason. And as we saw, they lost to the Carolina Hurricanes there in the first round. So I don't know what to expect there if you're an Islander fan. But at 5-6-4, and four, you lost in Edmonton there on Monday night. You lose in Vancouver. You're going to play in Seattle tonight as you continue this Western Canada. And obviously, the Northern or Pacific Northwest, as they're now in the States, as they're about to play the Kraken tonight. Let's see how this is going to shape up. I don't see the coach going to last year if they continue to play this way, and as an Islander fan, I'm just disgusted. Other than that, it's pretty much the same when we look through the standings. I'm not going to go through the regulars, the Bostons, the Vegases, the Colorados. We've talked about that, and it seems like we may talk about that until we're blue in the face. But any other team that has made some hay here over the last few days... I know that the Capitals have actually played better, and they started their season off pretty bad, but they have righted the ship. And Ovechkin, who's continuing to pile on goals, I think he's close to 830 for his career, which he's still what? Gretzky, I believe, is at 897, so he's still 67 goals. If he stays healthy, it's going to be next year that he's going to get that record. But he continues to chug along, continues to play well. Kudos to him as he tries to get closer and break the all-time goal-scoring record held by the great one. And besides that, even with Vancouver's win yesterday, think about that. They've now tied the Vegas Golden Knights for the top spot in the Pacific and for points overall in the West. The Bruins currently have the highest point total as of right to second. I said I wasn't going to talk about the Bruins, and I'll leave it at that. But NHL... Again, same with the NBA. There's not going to be much to discuss over the course of these three days unless something drastic happens. And NHL, that's what you're going to have here at this very moment. And Leon Dreisaitl, I believe, got fined. 
And I saw that cross check, which was awful, there the other night. And Drysaddle, we understand he's not a tough player. He's a great goal scorer, a great player. Got to give him credit. I'm not knocking him by any stretch. But that cross check to the back of the legs there the other night, I mean, seriously, when I saw that, I said, what the hell is that all about? And he only got fined 5000 I understand he doesn't have a track record when it comes to peccadillos or having these type of offenses on his resume. But for him to do that the other night, I mean, geez. And, of course, that happened to be against the Islanders' best player, that being Bo Horvat, or you could arguably say that. We could say Matthew Barzal. You could say Brock Nelson. You could argue who's the best player on the team. But we know Horvat's getting paid handsomely with that big contract. And for Dreisaitl to do that, that was Bush League. There's no way to cut it, no way to slice it. So he's not going to be suspended. Just gets a $5,000 slap in the wallet for Dreisaitl. And that's what you got with the NHL. And that's what you got here on the latest podcast. Thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you so much for spending a few minutes carving out precious time out of your day to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, review. Throw me a few stars, write a review. That will go a long way to increasing the visibility, as you all know. If you want to hit me up on any of my socials, you can do so at the following on YouTube, at J Reels, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast, Twitter, X, J Reels 1, just a number. Or the old-fashioned way, the JReels Podcast at gmail.com, because whether you do or do not know. This is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA. It's like to say, sports, what more can I tell you? I bring the passion, the fire, the fury, the energy, each and every podcast to discuss my thoughts, opinions, feelings, analysis, critiques, praise on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to Southeast to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.